Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Now, he's not mentioning idolatry or immorality there, just indifference. And understand, it is as great a sin, as dangerous and devastating a sin. You don't have to be steeped in idolatry or immorality to be judged by God, to perish in the judgment. You just need to be indifferent to the claims of Christ and the call of Christ. If that's you, you need to wake up. In a new message from Pastor Sam entitled, The Second Coming, we're looking at the last half of Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 23. Herein the Lord talks about His return, what it means to you and I, and what it means to the unbeliever. So let's listen in. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, picking up at verse 23, the second coming. One of the most amazing things about our Lord's teaching was His ability to transcend the time in which he was living and speaking and encouraging and comforting and convicting and make his word applicable in every generation. Now the subject matter we're considering in Matthew 24 has to do with the great tribulation, the final well seven years of human history as we know it, ultimately the great tribulation being the last half of that seven year period, the final three and a half years. And then the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And, and here's why I'm, I'm saying it's amazing. He left his disciples thinking he could come back for them at any time. They fully expected that in their lifetime the Lord would return, that all of the pieces of the puzzle would line up, or the dominoes would be put into place, and that first one would flip. And, and they were living, watching for him, ready for him, working for him. He left them with that expectation, well, because he wanted them to live each day as if it could be their last. And when we talk about the rapture of the church, though that's not the subject of Matthew 24, you need to know that Jesus wants us to live every day as if this could be the day. The trumpet sounds, the archangel cries out, and we are caught up together in the Lord with the air, thus to ever be with the Lord. But, but he wanted them to know, and then each succeeding generation, well, they could read the scripture and say, well, I can see why it didn't happen then, and I can see how it could happen now. And that continues to happen today. Now, it's possible the Lord might delay his coming, but I would encourage you, if you're at all unsure about the times in which we're living, to get the tape of our last service. It was on the Great Tribulation. And then read through, having listened to that tape and read through Matthew 24, read through Revelation 6 through 19. Get a handle on the kind of things God says will be happening in that final seven-year period before he returns to this earth to establish his kingdom on the earth. Well, we pick up at verse 23 with a word of warning. If anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it. Jesus had already warned that false Christs and false prophets were coming. Now he says, if anyone comes saying, look, here he is, or there, do not believe it. Why? False Christ and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. False Christ? It literally means false saviors, false messiahs who present a false gospel. 
the gospel of good works. If you're a good person and you do good things, well, you'll make it to heaven. I mean, why would God not let you in? No, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The false gospel of the law. Oh, I'll keep the law. I'll, I'll obey the Ten Commandments and, and then I'll be saved. The problem, of course, with that gospel, and it's no good news at all, is that none have ever kept the law and none have done good as Isaiah tells us and Paul reports to us in the book of Romans. None have done good enough for God and, and none have ever kept the law. And so those attempts, they're vain and, and futile. And when people say, well, if in fact you are or you try, or they point you to someone and say, well, yeah, Jesus, yeah, a savior in his day, but there have been many Christ since. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches Jesus was, is, and will always be the only Savior. Why is this important for the majority of us who already know the Lord? Because the whole point of the enemy, once you know the Lord, is to divert you from the truth that comes in the Scripture and, and the way he would change your life and your view of people around you and things around you. He just wants to, well, immobilize us in whatever way he can while the Lord is seeking to mobilize us to get us about his business. So false Christ and false prophets. False prophets simply come promoting the false Christ or the false ideas of the false Christ. And he says they'll use great signs and wonders. We know that happened as far back as Moses' day. As Moses came and said, let my people go speaking for the Lord that they might worship and serve me. And he worked signs and wonders given to him by the Lord. True miracles in the Lord's name and by the Lord's power. Pharaoh's magicians came out and said, that's nothing. We can duplicate that kind of stuff. Now, they weren't working in the realm of the supernatural. They were just tricksters. They were magicians. The whole idea is it's deception. It's sleight of hand. It's not real. And at one point in their, well, encounter with Moses, they have to say, hey, this is the finger of God. They acknowledge that, hey, Moses isn't like them, and, and he's not just playing games as they were. No, Moses was truly representing the Lord. So false Christ, false prophets, false signs, and false wonders. When you look not backwards, but ahead into the great tribulation and the time of tribulation, the ultimate false Christ, the Antichrist, comes on the scene. We spoke of him last time. And we know that he has a false prophet who promotes him. The idea being, hey, we need to worship this guy. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's our hope. That false Christ, the Antichrist. You know what God calls him? He calls him both beast. Men will look at him and adore him. Men will look at him and worship them. Men will look to them for security and, and hope. God says they're just beast. They're just destroying the people who trust in him. So the false prophet will come saying, trust in the Antichrist. And he'll cause all, slave and free, rich and poor, to receive a mark in their right hand or forehead. And he goes on to say, then they will worship the Antichrist. Well, Jesus says, don't let it happen to you. If they say, here's the Christ, they're there. Don't believe it. False Christ, false prophets, great signs and wonders. Their purpose, their goal to deceive, if possible, even the elect, forewarned, forearmed. That's what, see, I've told you beforehand means. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Now, first century, this was a most common claim. Hey, the Messiah's returned. Where is he? He's in the desert. Now, here's what I'm thinking. If they had any sense at all, they could have checked what Jesus had said. 
And if you're going to make up something and you're going to promote a lie, the least you should have the sense to say, well, let's not say in the desert because he already told them not to believe that. But you know, not just first century, but even in the 20th century, last century, sometime in the last 10 or 15 years, somebody took full page ads out in the New York, London, in LA Times, that's an expensive venture, by the way, those full-page ads said in large print, the Christ is here now. And when they pressed this false Christ, false prophet, for, well, where, where is he if he's here? He said, he's out in the desert. Hey, how dumb can he be? Make something else up. We've already tried that. He's not in the desert. He's not in the inner rooms. Around the turn of, not the 20th 21st century, you know, right, where, that we've entered into, but at the turn of the last century, the 20th century, from the 19th to 20th, there were those who prophesied the coming of the Lord. They actually set a date and a time. Now, they weren't the first and they won't be the last. Seems like when you get near the end of a century, a lot of people get wacky. And people sold all they had and they put on robes and they went and stood on a mountainside and they stood and they waited. And they stood and they waited and they stood and they waited. And then finally, one by one, sheepishly, they descended from that mountain thinking, now what are we going to do? We sold everything. We have nothing. And he didn't show what went wrong. And the tragedy is they thought God had let him down when it was a false Christ, when it was a false prophet. One major group, well, actually, there were splinters off of it, prophesied the very day of his coming, the date we'll find in this passage. Jesus says, hey, no one knows the day or hour. I don't know. The angels don't know. Why would anyone set a date for the coming of the Lord? But anyway, these guys did. And when he didn't show up, you know what they said? Well, he went into a secret chamber, an inner room. He went into the Holy of Holies, was their very words. He's been kind of hanging out, but now he's in. What does Jesus say if they say in the desert, don't buy into it? If they say in the secret chamber, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, verse 27, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. He's saying, listen, his coming will be public. It will be, well, noticeable, recognizable. Acts chapter 1, as they stood looking up into heaven, this same Jesus will so come in like manner as you saw him go. And that's what he goes on to say. Now remember, he is coming again, not for his church, for the rapture, but to judge and to rule and to reign. That happens at the end of the tribulation period. So as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, his coming will be. When he comes for his church, when he raptures us home, when he answers, well, that promise of John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where, you may, where I am, you may be also. When his prayer, Father, I want them to be with me and see the glory I had with you before the world began. When those statements and prayers are answered and, and fulfilled, Hey, we'll be with him in glory. We'll be casting our crowns at his feet. We'll be worshiping him, saying, you are worthy. You've redeemed us from every nation and kindred and tongue and people. But this isn't about the rapture. This is about his coming again and his judging the world. And when he comes again, he's making it clear, every eye will see him. In fact, Revelation 1.7 says that very thing. Behold, he's coming with clouds. We'll see that here in a moment as well. And every eye will see him and those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. You got to see it. He says, wherever the carcass, verse 28, 
is there the eagles will be gathered together. If you want more detailed information on this, just read Revelation 19. As Jesus descends from heaven with his church in tow, as we follow him and all who've believed in him, he comes back to the valley of Megiddo and to the battle of Armageddon and he tells us the carnage will be so great. Well, you just got to read it to even comprehend or believe it. But he then will set his foot down on the Mount of Olives and the Mount will split in two and the East Gate will open and he'll ascend or descend there into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. Well, immediately after the tribulation of those days, verse 29, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. They had asked, when will all these things be? Those things they referred to, well, the destruction of the temple and the other things he'd been prophesying. And, and here he says, and then they said, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? The sign of the Son of Man appears in heaven. I believe the sign of Jesus coming is, in fact, Jesus coming. It's him there, visible, and every eye sees, and everyone knows the Lord is returning, and the Lord has returned. What will happen? All the tribes of the earth will mourn. They'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now, Acts chapter 1, it said he will be coming in the clouds. Here it says he will be coming on the clouds. And in Revelation, it says he'll be coming with the clouds. And it's sort of an interesting picture that appears. In the clouds as he was caught up into heaven. On the clouds as he returns. And then with the clouds, well, Hebrews tells us there is a great cloud of witnesses looking on. And once we're raptured, we'll join that great crowd in the clouds. Maybe it's where they got the idea that, you know, we're going to sit on little clouds with little harps and we'll have wings and we'll be doing that whole thing. I'm just hoping that it's blues harps and not those harps, but I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty convinced that we're not going to be sitting on the clouds, hanging out, doing nothing for eternity. No, we're going to return to rule and reign with him. That's his promise. That's his testimony. And his word, as he'll tell us in a moment, it can be and should be counted on. Well, he'll appear coming on the clouds and in the clouds and with those clouds of witnesses. And he will come with power and great glory. As Revelation 1-7 says, every eye will see and they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. And he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to another. Note that description. He gathers his people together from the four winds of heaven. What's he doing? He's returning to the earth to establish his kingdom on the earth. Now, learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branches already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So when you see all these things, know that it is near at the very doors. By the way, the key phrase here is all these things. He adds it again. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things are fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Now, the fig tree was one of many symbols of national Israel. Not just the fig tree, they were called God's vineyard. They are called his fig tree in Jeremiah 24, Hosea 9, Joel 1. 
but they're called his vineyard and many other things in Scripture. So he's saying, listen, learn from the fig tree. Many see, and I'm one of them, that this could be a reference to the rebirth of the nation, the regathering of the nation Israel. But, but here's what's more important. He says, when you see all these things, what are all these things? Well, he'd spoken of wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilence, and earthquakes, those increasing in frequency and intensity, false Christ, false prophets, well, Israel restored, regathered, Antichrist revealed, the temple rebuilt, the sacrifices reinstated, and then Antichrist in the midst of all of it, as we saw last time, well, Antichrist exposed as he stands in the temple demanding he be worshipped as God. And I believe all he's saying is, if you're here in that generation, at that time, when all these things happen, you got to know it's about to come to a swift and severe conclusion. Now get this, in the first century, this made sense to them. As the temple was destroyed and they began to enter into great tribulation, they thought, this is it, the great tribulation. But we know, because we're looking back, well, no, it wasn't, but nevertheless, they were living as if the days were about to end and the Lord was about to come and I'm absolutely certain that's how we wanted them to live. Through the centuries, that continued to happen. And even in the last century, World War I, people said, this is it. World War II, they said, this is it. Well, we haven't had World War III, thank God. I think someone once asked Einstein, what do you think we're going to fight World War III with? And he said, well, I don't know about World War III, but I'll tell you what we'll fight World War IV with, sticks and stones. Because if there's a World War III... There won't be anything left or hardly anyone to fight. And we read, of course, last time, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would survive. So he says, watch. That generation that sees all these things take place will be the generation that sees the Lord return. Now, Jesus, once again, points us backwards. Verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Well, he points us forward, first of all, to the day and hour. And he says, I don't know elsewhere. And he says, the angels don't know. Only my Father knows. This, by the way, points out the foolishness, the futility of date setting. I'm not saying don't set a date if you're getting married. No, no, date setting for Jesus' second coming. No, here, here's what happens. It's kind of interesting. Late 87, early 88, there is a guy that put out a book saying 88 reasons why Jesus is returning in 1988. Now, you didn't have to be brilliant to know. He couldn't know that because Jesus says no one can know that. But this guy figured out, well, I'll sell some books. And he did. It was amazing. A lot of people sort of following the end times. We continue to, of course, started with in our generation. Well, many of us with Hal Lindsey and Pastor Chuck Smith and John Walvert and, and others. More recently, it's been LaHaye with the Left Behind series and, and those kind of things. It continues on. But get this. This guy publishes a book saying, I know when the Lord's coming back. And it's, here's 88 reasons why he's coming back in 1988. Now, here's the most amazing thing to me. Of course, you know, because here it is, 2004. The Lord didn't make it in 1988. But guess what happened in 1989? The guy published another book. You know the title of the book? A hundred, oh no, no, 89 reasons why Jesus is returning in 1989. And not that that's the most amazing thing. People bought the book. I'm like, come on, you got the 88. He's only adding one reason. Skip over and you know he's a false prophet. 
the Lord didn't come back. By the way, that's how you can know a false prophet. If these things he prophesies doesn't come to pass, well, he's not speaking for me. He says, they ran, but they never stood in my presence to hear my word. Had they stood in my presence, they would have spoken my word and they would have turned my people back to me. That's not what this guy was doing at all. He was drawing people to himself. He's the same guy, by the way, still a powerful radio and television ministry. And to this day, recently, he published some stuff and began to teach that God was no longer operating in the churches, that everyone should leave the churches, that they should stop supporting the churches, that God was only working through one ministry. And guess what ministry that was? His ministry. Of course, you need to give and make sure you give it all to him because he needs more money to continue to promote. Hey, this guy's his own false prophet and he's promoting a lie. And, and if I could sit face to face with him, I would tell him, you're a heretic. You need to repent, man. You're going to be judged by God. But, well, pray maybe the Lord will open up the door. I know someone who works there close to him and alongside could maybe get me in there. But the bottom line is, he says, no one knows the day or hour. Now, Chuck Missler, if you're familiar with him, and I know not all of you are, he taught at Calvary Costa Mesa and continues to. Powerful, wonderful teacher. One of my early teachers as a young Christian. And, and uh, he, he told us one day, well, actually Tom was reminding me that he had mentioned it. And, 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 and Chuck had said, well, listen, I figured out when the Lord's coming. I know the hour of his return. And, you know, of course, we're like, Chuck, that's heretical, man. Nobody knows that. And he goes, no, I, I got it. We're like, oh, yeah, when is it? He goes, it's between 1 and 2 o'clock. 1 and 2 o'clock. How did you come to that conclusion? Well, because somewhere it will be between 1 and 2 o'clock when the Lord returns. I right, think it through. All those time zones. Well, it is going to be 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock somewhere. But... Yeah, was Chuck joking? Yeah, was he being facetious? Yeah, Chuck was the kind of guy, when you went to his studies, the first thing he told you is, be a Berean. In other words, don't, don't believe anything I tell you. Why? What was he trying to do? He was trying to teach us to think. Not just to say, okay, well, old pastor said it must be true. Well, Chuck Mister, he's written books, has tapes, he's famous, he must be right. No, listen, lots of people are writing and publishing and preaching and teaching, but they're not rooted in the truth. They're not sharing the truth. And, and there are lots and lots of people who are. But you need to be able to discern for yourself. So you need to be a Berean and, and you need to study and show yourself approved and you need to test all things and hold fast that which is good. Why? Jesus goes on to say, look, it's going to be like the days of Noah. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Days of Noah. You could pretty much summarize those days with three words. Idolatry, immorality and indifference. Idolatry, immorality and indifference. Did you know that they were caught off guard? That's what the passage goes on to say. But it didn't have to be that way. Noah was a preacher of righteousness, we're told. And for 120 years, he built the ark and preached that judgment was coming. How many people listened? How many people responded? Only his family he, like Joshua, could say, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And one way or another, whether they wanted to or not, he said, you're on the ark, man, we're going. And they went. But nobody else joined in. Is that amazing? That someone could preach for over a century, 
and say, listen, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. Well, when judgment didn't come in 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, well, where's the promise of his coming? He's not coming. Judgment's not coming. And he says, it'll be like that in the days before the flood, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. Now, he's not mentioning idolatry or immorality there, just indifference. And understand, it is as great a sin, as dangerous and devastating a sin. You don't have to be steeped in idolatry or immorality to be judged by God, to perish in the judgment. You just need to be indifferent to the claims of Christ and the call of Christ. If that's you, you need to wake up. Having raised seven children, I have an interesting insight. If I leave the house and don't tell my kids exactly when I'm going to return, it has a profound impact on how they live while I'm away. I could be back at any time. That's the same with us. If we live knowing that any time the Lord could return, it actually purifies us. It changes us when we live this way. At the end of Titus chapter 2, we are told that by living this way, Jesus purifies for himself his own special people who are zealous for good works. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.